You can always tell them you played one game. Well, this man's first game was memorable. It was against the Doggies back in 1987 on the 1st of August. Kind of fitting it was the horse's birthday. It's Mick McGowan. Hello, Mick. How are you? Yeah, g'day, Kev. How are you, mate? <laughs> uh, it is fitting that it was a horse's birthday because you love the horses, don't you? Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> ever since I was a, a young lad, uh, the old man and his, his brothers, who are my uncles, obviously, were involved in a lot of horses growing up at Ballarat and being on a farm. Always had horses around me as a young kid. And it was one of those memorable moments when Noel Kelly was our trainer and he was a relation of ours. Uh, the great Noel Kelly was one of the most respected horse trainers in Ballarat with the Smurdens. Uh, we had a two-year-old in 1977 that won on Cox Plate Day and was a 10-year-old oh, wow. kid. The day family of man beat Raffendale. Yeah. Um, we won the first race, the Silver Jubilee Stakes. It was a short half-head margin by a short half-head margin. Three horses went across the line. Uh, our course, uh, Pagoda Queen by Type N2 beat Val Rose and New Rose. Um, and that moment was etched in my memory forever. And obviously from that point, to see the celebration amongst me, dad and mum and uncles and aunties uh, was something to behold back, uh, back back in Ballarat when I was a young kid because they celebrated long into the night. Yeah, I bet they did. Now, you, you're obviously never going to be a jockey. So, no. So, so, so footy, uh, footy beckoned to you. Now, you are uh, you mentioned uh, you're up, in, up in that uh, Sebastopol area. Now, how did, how did the Saints miss you? Because you're in the Saints zone, weren't you? Yeah, that's right. Um, but at that time, I suppose, as a young fella, I was playing pretty strong cricket. Um, I was playing. I played my first A grade game cricket when I was thirteen. Oh wow! Um, and a lot of people thought at that time, and probably till I was seventeen or eighteen, a lot of people thought I was a better cricketer than footballer. And at the time, I was playing pretty strong um, A grade cricket, playing junior cricket, playing in representative teams, uh, Victorian schoolboys teams, going to Tasmania, going to Sydney to play in those carnivals, um, and a lot of people and probably Graham Jelly included, who yeah. was St Kilda's recruiting officer. Um, he thought that I might pursue a cricket career rather than a footy one. Did you? Is and, that what you were thinking? No, I've always loved footy first, yeah. but I love cricket as well. And my nana and granddad uh, purchased all my cricket gear to help mum and dad out at that time. And I love my cricket. Um, Ian Redpath had a great connection with him because dad did some woolshed classes with him. And he'd take me down to St Mary's where his antique store was down in Geelong and give me some half trackers at the back at one of the schools there. And <laughs> it was one of those great moments because he tried to get me down to Dowling Shield, which I did play for South Melbourne in the under-16s when I was about a 14-year-old. And I just remember those moments and you don't um, disrespect them. It's just that I love footy more than cricket because in cricket, when you're a batter, um, you've got one chance. Um, and if you make a bad mistake, you're out and you're watching for the rest of the day in a game of footy, you can make a mistake, you can rectify it in the next contest or in the next quarter. Yeah. I just felt you stayed in the game longer, particularly if you're a specialist batsman. Uh, but the thing that I was doing as a kid, I was wicket-keeping as well. So I was all, always involved in the game, and I love wicket-keeping. But I probably got to the point when I was 16, if you were over 15 years and six months, um, you were open property if you weren't on that club's um, list that you were zoned to. Uh, right. And I wasn't on St Kilda's. And then one day, uh, Dad got a phone call from a bloke called Bill O'Keefe and he came to the school when I was doing my HSC here at St Pat's College and said, oh, Bill O'Keefe from the Collingwood Footy Club, I do recruiting. Just thought I'd let you know, Brian, that we're coming to have a look at your son play tonight. We're playing Ballarat High School at St Pat's. I was the first 18 captain. 
and he come and knocked on the door at 2.30 in the afternoon. And I was a college supporter as a kid and Brother Miller was our um, pure and applied maths teacher. And he just asked him if we could have a chat to me and he got me out of class and he said, mate, here's your chance of a lifetime, something you dreamt about. Ever since you were little, Collingham will be coming to watch you play tonight. Go out and do your best. And the rest is history. I went out and kicked 13 goals and I signed at the Ballarat Post Office at 6.30 that night with the Collingham <laughs> Footy Club and they put it under the doors of Jollymont House the next morning. And by 9 o'clock or when one minute past 9, I was a Collingwood listed player, even though I wasn't zoned to that area because I was over 15 years and six months and basically open property. God. And from that day, I was a Collingwood player. And then, uh, well, three and a bit years later, you made your debut at the at the Witten Oval, the Western Oval, uh, round 18 in, in 1987. What, what's your memories of the lead-up to that? Um, obviously, we won the under-19 Premiership in 1986. That was my first year at Collingwood. Yep. And then the next year in 87, um, I reckon by memory, there would have been maybe 11 or 12 players, or maybe 13 even, that were given a chance at senior footy. And I reckon it was just that, transition period when Lee Matthews took over from Bob Rose to look at the next emerging talent that was within the four walls. And guys like Jason Kroll and Mark Orville, Brett Glowry, Greg Fall, Neil Brimley, um, Darren Bolton, uh, these types of guys all got an opportunity to play C. Paul Smith, um, terrific fellas. Um, something you look back on to say, well, there was four of us, Gavin Brown, Damien Monkhurst, um, we got a chance, Gav Francisca, all to go on and play senior footy. And that was that period in 1987. Lee had a look at all the talent at his disposal to say, is this a part of the group that we can tap into going forward to make the senior team better for longer? And that's how it sort of transitioned in that 87 year. And I reckon going into the week that I got my first game, I was really nervous. I got told on the Tuesday that we're going to play you this week. Um at Footscray, and then you ask Dacos, who's sitting next to your locker, <laughs> uh, having a chat to him, talking about the experiences of the you know Western Oval back then, the Witten Oval now, uh, how windy it gets, uh, how you play it, who you're going to play on. And I remember in the game itself, um, the intensity was higher. Uh, there was some terrific players for Footscray and blokes that I'd idolised watching on the winners in Dougie Hawkins and had to go against the flight of the ball in one situation and knowing full well what Rick Kennedy was like, not knowing he was coming at the time, he was certainly coming pretty strong. And at that point of time, I said, well, you have to stand and deliver. And I took a mark against the flight. Probably from that point, it welcomes you to AFL footy or back then VFL footy. Yeah. And Rick Kennedy said, you're lucky, black, you're a lucky boy. He said, I just missed you next time I won't. And that's the type of uh, discussion that used to take place on the ground. Welcome to VFL football, Mr. McGowan. Yeah, and that's what it was like. Um, it was a windy day, but um, it was a great day because you connected with your boyhood idols. And I was a Collingwood supporter as a kid. And to sit down with you know blokes like Billy Pickin and Peter Dacos and all these guys that you grew up idolising on the winners, as I said, and you didn't get a lot of coverage back then, particularly up in the country town yeah. uh, where I grew up. Um, all we did was get an opportunity here and there to look at your beloved team, and mine was Collingwood. And one day you just dreamt about... If I was good enough, could I rub shoulders with these guys and be a part of the VFL landscape? Um, you know, it takes a lot of hard work, but to actually turn that into reality is something I'll never forget. Did anyone take you under their wing when you got there as a, as a young teenager? Oh, absolutely, they did, Kev. Um, Peter Dacos was one, um, and I cherish his friendship still to this day because of it. And it's not about his football talent. I just gravitated to him because he was my idol. Um, I become 34 
in number. He was number 35. David Cloak was absolutely sensational for me. Um, still respect him dearly. He was number 33. Um, I remember in 1996 when Lee Matthews finally got the coaching job and he asked all the under-19s and the senior list of players. He's talking about back then nearly 100 players that were in one room. And he spoke about the transition period from Bob Rose to himself and talked about the importance of selflessness and team first. And he named some players that he didn't think were uh, towing the party line. If they didn't change their attitude, they might not be here the next year. And uh, We know that a few of the players who I thought were senior older statesmen of the club that I'd be a part of hopefully forging a career with, uh, they weren't there. Yeah. Uh, but David Cloak and Nicky Taylor and Peter Dacos and Tony Shaw, these elder statesmen of the footy club were sensational. And sitting in between Cloak and Dacos, who'd had enormous amount of experience already at VFL level, but well-respected in the football fraternity, to give them to give you some advice about how to train, how often you've got to do it, what you've got to work on, but also chew the fat back then about what you're doing on your day-to-day life. Um, I remember David Cloak said to me, an idle time's a devil's playground. Yeah. And he was right. And I didn't take that advice on board early um, because you just thought, I'm here to play AFL footy. Who needs to work? But he was 100% correct. The more downtime you've got, the more the mind wanders and it can get you into trouble. And let's face it, I had some issues back then about you know how to spend downtime. I was yeah. a country boy. I was caught up in the city, didn't like it much. Um and I wanted to, you know, obviously try to forge an AFL career. So all I thought was eat, sleep and drink footy. Uh, but that led to a lot of downtime and a lot of distraction. And with those distractions, you make some poor decisions as a young fellow, which is clearly on the table today. And it's way back then it was. And before my time, it was too. You've never been one to shirk from the from from what happened though. That's one of the things I think everyone admires about you. Is you you're willing to say I made a few mistakes, you copped that, but I actually, I, I mean, you did uh, you did turn it around. There's no doubt about that. Oh, absolutely. And you know, I always said that's why pencils are made with rubbers on them. Um, a lot of people out there with skeletons <laughs> in their closet. Some don't want to share them, and all of a sudden it does come out. And, um, sometimes they can probably put a full stop to it early if you. Be accountable with your decisions you make, and I remember the period of time um, after, you know, probably trying to establish myself as a senior player. I got caught for drink driving, and that wasn't ideal because it was front page, back page of every paper, and Collingwood being the club that it was, it was front and centre news, and it affected, you know, obviously sponsorship and affected the club's brand, affected my brand. Uh, but then all of a sudden, you put it all in reality. You say, well, you made a mistake. Um, you survived an incident like that. But fast forward, I lost one of my best mates in Darren Mullane by doing the same thing. Um, yeah. And it puts things in perspective by him doing the drink driving episode. And unfortunately, Pants is not with us today on the back of making an irrational decision, which a lot of young people tend to do. Yep. Some get to talk about it, and unfortunately, he didn't. Yeah, well, that's that's a, I think a journey a lot of us have uh, have seen over our years with uh, different people involved in our lives. Um, uh, let's let's talk about that nineteen ninety uh, premiership, and uh, I mean uh, the the eighty seven game at the at the Western Oval was the was the start of your pathway to being part of that nineteen ninety premiership. Uh, did did you always kind of feel as you were going along in that sort of eighty eight eighty nine that that's where the club was heading? Yeah, absolutely, Kevin. Nineteen eighty eight, I thought we were a really good team. Um, we unfortunately got to the finals, and I think my memory we lost to Carlton and Melbourne. And I reckon that was the catalyst behind galvanising the seniors. There was a little bit of a, a, um, a mid-20s age group um, birth of players, and there was a lot of bottom-age players, 19, 20, that were starting to establish themselves in terms of getting 
you know, 20 to 30 games under their belt, feeling comfortable within that environment, knowing what it takes to train hard, knowing what it takes to recover, what sacrifices you've got to make. And then your footy talent gets a chance when you look after yourself. And I reckon by 1990, the group was ready. It was pretty steely. Sure, he was a sensational leader. He was driven. Um, he'd part, been a part of Collingwood heartburn in terms of losing finals and, and grand finals previously. We had Peter Dacos as well, who was a fantastic role model for our younger players about skill acquisition. He was happy to stay out on the ground for long periods of time to teach the next generation of players what it takes to reach required skill level in terms of ball use, ball security, and making the right decisions. Um, as I said, David Cloak was fantastic for the group. Brian Taylor was a forward who was unheralded in terms of his football ability. A lot of people focused on the emotional antics and the outburst that he had, but we loved him as the player he was. Yeah. Um, so we had a good blend of, you know, Dennis Banks is another one, Darren Mullane was another one that we felt were really terrific elder states of our, of our footy club. And when they spoke, the younger blokes listened. But more importantly, when we had an influx of Stasovic, Christian, Russell, Francis, we brought a lot of um, outside influence to the club who were really good players and fantastic team-orientated people. And we had the emergence of Gavin Brown and Damian Monkhurst, Gav Krasiska. Um, it was a really good place to be. And we were well led by Lee Matthews, who was strong and pointed. He never asked us to do something he never did himself. Uh, but he also simplified the game. He simplified his game plan. Players bought into the game plan. And we just knew exactly what was required to take to win a premiership. And he'd been there before. Yeah. And when he spoke, we listened. And generally, we got the job done. Yeah, the, the, the planets all lined up, as they say in the classics, and all the boxes were ticked and all that, that sort of stuff. Uh, next year will be a really significant uh, sort of celebration and of, of that premiership win. Um, how, how do you kind of, is there, is it tinged, it's obviously tinged with sadness uh, as well as the kind of that camaraderie that you get from being in a premiership? Yeah, there is always a point of reflection, but I think there's a point of reflection on Pants' birthday. Um, there's a point of reflection every grand final that he's played, whether Collingwood's in it or not, because yeah. you shared something on that day that other people are trying to do on a year-to-year basis now, and it's hard to do. They're hard to win. They're hard to get to. Uh, but when you know there's 20 guys back then uh, were able to achieve something um, that probably over 32 years Collingwood players had previously failed to do, uh, was something to look back on and reflect and be a part of celebration. But obviously with 19 guys still living and pants is the one that's passed away, unfortunately, um, there is that emotional downturn um, in the view that you reflect upon him. What would he be doing now? How important he was to the group, the fun times we had, uh, the challenges we had. But basically speaking, when you get those boys back in the one room, if everyone's available, and let's face it, you try to get everyone back in the one room, but everyone's doing something differently now and with kids in the world and um, their own families to look after. It's hard to make the planets align, but yeah. generally most guys try to make the effort to get to celebrate what will be the 30-year, uh, sorry, what is that, 30-year period next yep. year of celebration. Yep. But um, it'll be something to look forward to if everyone can get there. Hey, uh, when you kind of trudged off the Western Oval, the Western Oval uh, back in 1987 after your first game, uh, if someone had said to you then, you'll play 150 games, uh, you'll uh, you'll win a couple of uh, Copeland trophies, you'll win a premiership, uh, and you'll have you'll have a great time doing it. Uh, that'll that'll be your career. Would would you have taken that then and there on the spot? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to play one game for Collingwood, to be honest, Kev. And if my time was going to be um, closed shut. 
after that Western Oval, I would have been pretty contented, to be honest, get back on, get back into Ballarat and probably work on the farm or try to go to a bit of land and have a bit of cattle or have a bit of sh- few sheep or do what I had to do. But you just sort of evolve. You're caught up in the euphoria of what AFL footy or back then VFL footy was like. And to be on the centre stage at the MCG in front of 90,000 people, it just gives you an opportunity to strut your God-given talent. Yeah. Um, a lot of people have got talent, but some don't work hard at it, and that probably separates the great from the good. Um, there's a lot of people before my time that probably could have had an opportunity to play VFL footy, but due to circumstances, either staying on the farm to work, didn't want to make the sacrifice, uh, just couldn't be bothered. Um, they want to stay in the big uh, it. You know, big fish in a small pond. Yeah. Um, a lot of people in the footy industry have been that way, and that's okay. Uh, but when you're given a chance to play with the club you're barracked for, and obviously try to be as good as what you, you know, you're striving to be, um, that's the challenge. But when you sort of uphold that into the party, the individual accolades come and go. Uh, your best and fairest is something that I look back on fondly. But it's the premiership that counts. Yeah. And unfortunately, we didn't probably emulate. Another premiership with the group we had. Uh, we lost Pants in 91. Uh, 92 were probably, I thought, as good as anybody within the competition. I think we finished equal third in terms of points four. Um, it was a third V6 scenario. We got beat by St Kilda out at Waverley. And that, to me, was a real missed opportunity. Uh, looking back on that, we had a few, probably six or seven players that were sick going into that game because the yeah. bug went through the joint. And that probably didn't help our cause in a game that we needed to require a lot of effort and run on the Waverley ground against St Kilda with the running capacity they had. But that's um, something that probably you look back and say, well, that could have been the year that gone away. That was the one we could have emulated in 1990, even though we didn't have one of our leaders in Darren Mullane out in the park. But we are trying to do a lot for ourselves, but also for him that year. Obviously, the uh, the flag is is the proudest moment in your in your footy history. Is that number fifty four jumper that you wore that first uh, in that first game? Is that in the Maguan Museum somewhere? Um, to be honest with you, I don't know where my grand final jumper is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hopeful for that sort of stuff, Kev. But uh, to be there somewhere, I'm not too sure where. But I'm uh, I'm sort of not one to look in the rear vision mirror. I appreciate all the stuff that I've done, and it'll be there somewhere in a box, mate. But I'm not too sure where it'll be, yeah. um, even. Even my uh, grand final medal, I'm not 100% sure where that would be to be there tucked away somewhere. I'm not sort of wonder, put it front and centre in the house and say, look at what I've achieved. It's tucked away somewhere and it'll be in a box somewhere uh, look at, you know, getting looked after, gathering dust. Yeah, but that, that memory's in your mind and that's never far away from your thoughts. Hey, speaking of thoughts, uh, it would be remiss of me on Cup Week not to ask you your thoughts on the Melbourne Cup uh, and who, you, uh, who you're fancying as a bit of a, a, a man who, who likes uh, to follow the horses. Yeah, it's a deep race, I reckon, Kev. Um, obviously, the weather might play a part, but I just keep coming back to, I reckon, the top weight cross-counter will run well. Um, obviously, he was simply fantastic winning the race last year. Uh, goes up significantly in weight, uh, but the way he won last year, it's just hard to get out of my mind that the 3,200 metres is right up its alley. Um, it'll be well ridden by William Buick. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all that Aidan O'Brien's been playing some ducks and drakes with Neil <laughs> Paradiso. Yeah. Um, we know he's extremely capable of uh, winning big races. You know, he has a sense of timing about him. Um, it's got only 52.5 kilos. He's brought out Wayne Lorden, who's been the jockey mainly for this type of horse, particularly in its last, you know, four of its last, four of its last five runs. So, I wouldn't be surprised at all, even though it's drawn Barry 17. Um, as a four-year-old, Il Paradiso could be in the mix. 
from a local standpoint, um, I'd love to see Danny O'Brien win a Melbourne Cup on the back of what he's gone through with the Cobalt Saga, yep. how he's rediscovered himself, but also how his horses are going right now. We know it's a Flemington horse. The concern over Bow and Declare is will he handle real soft going? Uh, there's thunderstorms talking, uh, being spoken about uh, going into the day. Um, and let's hope it doesn't become too rain effective because a lot of horses won't be able to get through the going. And probably the other one is Paul Kruska's horse, um, Surprise Baby, yep. who I think will run particularly well. So Finch will run well. Um, Worcester Gear will probably run well. Uh, but I'm probably in the corner of the top. He cross counter and also um, number 20, Il Paradiso. I think they'll both be hard to beat. Hey, Mick, look forward to you being in the studios with us for Cup Week Radio later in the week. And thanks so much for your time uh, tonight. We really do appreciate it. Good on you, Kev.